This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and cents on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Sim Wee Boon. Now, as the year wraps up, it's natural to think about your goals, be it professionally, personally, and financially. It's something that you and your family, or just yourself, will want to assess and talk about openly and honestly. This year has been quite a ride, despite the somewhat optimistic first quarter. Who would have guessed a war in Europe, China's strict COVID policy for a majority of the year, high inflation and interest rates continuing, and of course, a new government in Malaysia. How has all of this impacted your financial goals? What was your 2022 journey like? My guest today is Stephen Young, Licensed Financial Planner for Wealth Vantage Advisory, and we'll be discussing this year in review. Stephen, let's start off with financial checklists. Do you have one? Why do you think it's important for us to have a financial checklist? Most definitely, uh, financial checklist is, is always good, you know, to always see, you know, at least you can actually see how much you have uh, progress, you know, are you heading towards uh, your goals? And uh, for a lot of people, it makes a lot of sense for it to also tie into the calendar year as well, rather than the middle of the year. So it's easier to see, you know, a full year from the beginning, from January 1st until December 31st in a year. If there's any one thing is really looking at, you know, starting with, well, the, the end in mind, knowing where are you headed, what are the goals, people, things, resources, what's important for you and your loved ones. So how do you do your financial year checklist? What, what goes into that? What does it look like? Uh, if I may be honest, well, it starts with life itself because everything is actually tied to that. Money itself is just, just a tool, it's just a resource. So it really needs to be tied to you know, your values, what you're really looking at and what matters uh, for you. So like for myself, you know, I, I have goals that are linked to uh, faith, to uh, family, to, to my career, to the things that I'm uh, looking forward to. And then after that, I break that down into numbers, especially including the important part on uh, financials. So there's various things that uh, one can track and one can look at. So you get a semblance of uh, where you are and then you can actually look at where you need to be by the year end for each year. So throughout this year, right, what do you think were the key things that you know we should be looking back into, right, when you are kind of like thinking back about this past 2022 and your money? So for a lot of people, when it looks to finances, there are a number of key things that you want to be looking at. At the very basic would be things like uh, emergency savings and backup funds. If you don't have that set up or if you don't have, you know, at least a thousand ringgit in your bank account, that's probably the very first thing that should go on your list of goals that you should be looking to achieve if you haven't yet. And if you do have that thousand ringgit, then you should be looking at if you're uh, single, no dependents, you can probably get away with as low as three months of backup funds. If you are uh, married, having dependents, you might be looking at at least six months of backup funds. If there's any risk at all with your income or job stability or you're considering your change careers, you might be looking at you know having 12 to 18 months of backup funds. And if you're a retiree or near retirement, you might be looking at longer than that. You might be looking to have to hold liquid funds of at least 24 months to even 36 or 48 months uh, worth as well. So that's at a very basic, which is your, your emergency savings. Other than that, if that is in place, the two other key things to look at after that would be basically your net worth as well as your investment goals. So for net worth, you'll be looking at well, basically defined as your total assets minus your liabilities. For some, they might include in the primary residence or home that you stay in, or you can choose to exclude it. Both are equally 
valid. So one thing that we noticed this year is that net worth has been something that a lot of people have been uh, struggling with. Uh, I know of people whose net worth has gone down 10%, 20%, even up to 70% in this year. Imagine losing 70% of your net worth in a single year. So for example, a good rule of thumb is to have a net worth growth of say 15 to 20% a year. But in this year, in the conditions that we've had, what we've experienced this year, if your net worth is still positive or even flat, I would actually call it a win uh, for <laughs> this year itself. Okay, so this conversation about net worth is an interesting one, right? Should, should Malaysians count in EPF into their net worth? Because it's not exactly something that you can take out just like that, but it goes into your retirement and it's also part of your core value as a person, right? Do you, do you think that we should put in EPF into our net worth as well? I, th- I think no matter what age that you're you're at, you know, uh, EPF should actually be included because EPF itself is actually a fund, and within it, it is uh, allocation into various asset classes as well. With fixed income being the majority of it, about fifty percent, and then a portion into equities, into property, as well as uh, into cash. I guess the only reason that uh, you would not exclude. Uh, would not include EPF is, for example, if you plan to, let's say, you know, pass away as morbid as it sounds, pass away at the age of 40 or before you reach the age of 55, then maybe you might exclude that. But other than that, I don't see a reason why you should exclude your EPF because it is part of your retirement savings. Okay, so um, you mentioned about properties as well, right? I mean, is there a case to be made against or for including the property that you're still paying a loan for the part of your net worth? I mean, what's your view on it? Do you count your properties uh, as part of your net worth? Sure. So for property, it is a little bit more subjective. You would definitely want to include the portion of your property that's still under loan or mortgage. So for example, if you calculate the portion of your net worth on property, you would actually take it as the current value of the property and actually deduct out or minus the portion that's still under loan or mortgage. It also kind of depends as well whether the property that you have is actually for your own residence or is actually for investment purposes. So if you actually want to be conservative, it's for your own primary residence that you're staying in, then you probably want to exclude it uh, from your net worth calculations as well. And to further complicate things a little bit as well, it also depends, you know, is this your so-called forever home? Are you planning to be staying there at the point of your retirement and post-retirement or is your plan after you retire to actually dispose of the property maybe scale back a little bit you know move out from you know the large double-story house you know into a smaller place you know especially if your kids uh, are out of the nest already so all of that would affect whether you include the property as part of your network calculations what about something like a car because i think for malay malaysians sometimes they do i mean not many malaysians lah. i mean generally speaking there is that perception that we also look at car as a status symbol right but do this car also translate into part of your net worth especially since it's seen also as a depreciating asset that, that's a very good point and good question there Sim. Uh, totally uh, car is actually a depreciating asset in fact some would even go out to say that it's actually a liability instead of an asset so again if you want to be conservative you can just exclude the, the value of your, your car uh, but if you really really want to include it you can uh, but take it as the current value of the car which means that after you've purchased it you know driven it out of the lot you're going to be looking at a significant depreciation even from the first year itself and also deducting out the part that's on uh, the outstanding higher purchase uh, loan liability as well. So you can include it in, but it's probably, you know, um, barely going to nudge the needle actually on your overall net worth. So for all intent and purposes, uh, if it's too much of a hassle, you can actually exclude uh, looking at your vehicles as part of your asset allocation net worth. 
Yeah, because I think for many people, psychologically speaking, right, towards the end of the year when you're calculating your net worth, right, you, you kind of want to end up with a bigger number. So you're going to try to like put in as many things into this checklist, into this net worth statement that you have, right? So, you know, I put my car, even though it's half the value of what I bought it, you know, it still adds up to a bigger number though. You know, are there other things that people should consider, might not consider? Or is it better to just like, you know, be conservative and just strictly say my savings, my investments and my EPF? Generally, you would want to be conservative. I, I get what you mean as well. Same, you know, sometimes you want to be competitive, right? You're, okay, you set this goal and you want to put you know, as much of the numbers in as you can to try to uh, hit that. Uh, but generally, I would suggest to uh, exclude the, the vehicle. Uh, you might also look at you know, any other assets that you have that you might have uh, missed out as well. So there would be things, for example, like your insurance policies in which there is a cash value. So you can actually include that as part of your net worth allocation as well. Or maybe you actually have, you know, certain other assets, let's say like gold or even jewelry, you know, if there's a monetary value that's uh, attached to it, you can actually include that as part of your net worth as well. All right. And we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Weebun. And my guest today is Stephen Yong, licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. And we're discussing how 2022 has impacted our wallets. Earlier before the break, Stephen was talking about a year-end checklist and what to include in it. Now, Stephen, I want to look back at the year for you. And were there anything that you felt like you should have done differently? Or do you think that most people should have done differently? All right. So there's a number of things to be looking at as well. I think one thing for a lot of people this year was realizing that suddenly their cash flow became a little bit tighter. And if you don't really track your expenses or you don't use a budgeting app to actually track it, you might be surprised as well because a key uh, factor that was actually driving up was actually inflation. Well, now of officially the inflation rate in Malaysia has only gone up about 1% throughout this year. But if you actually zoom in specifically into things like uh, food inflation, the, the price of eating out, groceries, that has actually increased almost 4 to 5% each quarter itself. So for a lot of people, if you don't realize it and you don't actually track or you're feeling that, hey, suddenly your cash flow is tight, you don't need to be tracking those things that are kind of fixed expenses that are going on every month. But look at the variable expenses, especially dining, groceries, and for a lot of people, that was actually a significant increase on this year itself. So with that, you would actually want to see uh, is there any changes that you need to be looking at when it comes to your cash flow? Is there a need actually for you to actually drive up your income so your cash flow actually increases? So one thing that originally surprised me when I first went into the financial planning industry that was talking with clients and were looking, hey, in order for you to meet all your various savings investments goals for your retirement, your children's education, uh, other goals as well, and you know, to have a decent lifestyle, not eating you know roti or you know cup noodles every day, that you do need to have a certain level of income as well, whether that's active income from your work or passive income from your investments as well. But the easiest to actually increase is actually on increasing the active income because passive income takes time to build up. Expenses, there's only so much that you can cut. And originally, I was surprised that talking to clients, hey, you needed to increase, say, your income by an additional 3,000 ringgit or 5,000 ringgit. And within one or two years, once you actually know that there's a goal that you need to have when it comes to your active income, then people will actually find ways and means people are resourceful they will either get a promotion at work or maybe choose to you know change to a different uh, company or a different career to get the income levels to where they need to so it's really knowing where you actually need to make those adjustments when it comes to cash flow and then you know um, making it happen 
Yep, or you know, get a side hustle, figure out how you can yes, kind of like side hustle. Yeah. Make that income happen, active income happen passively as well, I guess. You know, look for alternative investments that can draw a higher rate. You know, something popped up as you were talking through this to me. I understand that you are married, you have a family. Yes, that's right. I have a two-year-old boy. Do you do this review? Do you do this checklist, everything as a unit, as a family unit with your partner? Or is it, you know, individually where you do it, she does it, and then you guys kind of like compare, contrast? I mean, um, from your perspective as a family man, right? How do you, is it harder, easier to do it as a family? How, would, how do you do this? There's actually no one single right size fits all for this because you know every every family every uh, partner every couple is actually unique. So for some, they may actually do it uh, separately, and it goes even that you know I know of couples as well where you know both husband and wife each engage a financial planner separately as well oh, wow. to actually look into their finances. So what? You should actually still want to consolidate it together so you do have a picture as an overall family unit. So it doesn't have to be going into every detail like, oh, you know, every time you uh, swipe your credit card or, you know, every time you make a purchase that you have to report it to to your spouse, that may be a little bit too constraining. But as a family, as a as a couple, you should be aligned together. What are the longer terms that longer term goals that you're looking for? What are the things that each of you are actually contributing? You know, uh, some may even consider setting up a joint account together as well, which may be helpful for things that are paid together uh, jointly. Um, in my scenario, uh, for and it depends on each family unit as well. So in my scenario, I take a little bit deeper look uh, into the finances, um, which may be related to you know since I am in 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 the financial services field as well. But my wife actually is a key and actually an equal partner as well when it comes to looking at our personal finances together as a family. So she is aware, you know, what are the goals we're looking at, where are we heading for, and tying into that uh, review that you're doing, for example, the financial review or financial checklist at the end of the year to see where you're at. That's a great exercise to be doing with your spouse, you know at least once a year or if you can do it every uh, quarter or every half a year that would be great as well do you set up financial goals and checklists for your children as well I mean I know she, I know your kid's only two but you know is it too early to start you know, I think a lot of times when we talk about money as well right we, we look at the perspective of just me or my partner you know but the family around you as well also plays a part right most definitely and the reality of it is the cost of raising a child is actually really expensive. There is a saying that the cost of raising a child, you know, till from uh, the time that uh, the child is born until uh, reaching adulthood and, for example, uh, going to work, you're probably looking at at least the price of a property. Uh, And for many people, that will be a seven-figure sum, actually, over a million, actually, to raise a child. So you would actually want to break it into two parts. So one would be the ongoing expenses that are uh, for the child and, you know, once the child goes to school or even before that, there'll be things like you know diapers uh, milk and and food and so on so that part will actually come from your cash flow so you need to be setting the sign that uh, your cash flow now that you have a, a new addition to your family that all your expenses including the ones for your child should still come within 60% or less of your total take home income so that's one portion the other portion will actually be for the future and for most families when it comes to children that key cost would actually be for tertiary education for example to go to university or college and costs are not cheap as well and you also need to be factoring in education inflation which is actually increasing about seven to eight percent uh, per year so globally as well so 
you would actually want to start saving up for uh, your children's education costs even before you know the child is born so for example if you're starting to plan for a family hey that's a great time to actually start setting up an education fund and then also thinking as well what sort of tertiary education ideally would you want your child to have it can be as low as like a hundred thousand ringgit for a local uh, program if you're looking at overseas it, it starts from at least half a million ringgit and if you actually include it the cost of education inflation, you are actually looking at approximately 1.5 million ringgit in future terms once your child turns the age of 18. So that's a big sum and definitely something that you need to plan for right from the very beginning itself. I think for a lot of people, a lot of Malaysians, right? Cost of living did come up this year. The economy wasn't wasn't that great. I mean, what, what do you think were the key events that really, really impacted our wallets, right? I mean, a lot of people throw words like inflation, interest rates and ringgit and all that stuff, right? But I think maybe we can help our listeners contextualize, right? What really happened to all of our money this year? Sure. So key themes that have been seen throughout the year was definitely inflation, the moving of the uh, economic cycle as well, that uh, technically we are already in the late stages of an, an early recession and we are you know looking for a full-blown recession into the year ahead as well. So what we are actually seeing is that uh, for a lot of people, uh, human beings, we all have very short memories and some of us may not even recall or for some who are way too young, you may not recall the last uh, financial crisis or the last recession that we actually went through as well. So for a lot of people, their spending was uh, is, was being increased due to the effects of uh, inflation. We've had multiple uh, rate hikes this year. The last one in November, very likely we're looking at another rate hike in January and maybe even one more to March. We will actually bring up the Malaysia's overnight policy rate back to historical rates itself. So that's definitely an impact with the rising uh, costs uh, that we're seeing that's actually affecting each and every one of us. So with all that in said, right, then how do we review our goals and especially our risk tolerance, right? Do you, do you plot your own risk tolerance? Um, how do you look at that? So if you're looking at risk tolerance, uh, one part actually would be actually for a replacement of income, which is actually linked to uh, insurance. The other key portion of risk management would actually come when it relates to your investments as well. So if you're look at, looking at it from the point of uh, insurance, you would want to be seeing that if anything unexpected happens to you, because what we're seeing as well is that a lot of companies have already started freezing hiring. Some are even laying off uh, people. So, you know, if there's any risk of actually you losing your uh, income, you need to have your backup funds there. And if it actually happens, let's say from a disability or critical illness uh, point of view, then you would want to have at least, you know, three to five years of your ideally would be to replace your income fully or at least to cover the amount of expenses. So that is going into part of your regular financial checklist as well to actually see that the amount of life insurance, disability coverage, critical illness coverage that you have is actually sufficient. And that numbers will change every year as well. So that's also another good thing to look at whenever you do your review on an annual basis. On the other part, when it actually comes to investments, a lot of people go in if investments and especially if you're new towards investments, you want to think that, hey, you want to take on as much risk as you can, get as much gains as you can. But it is actually a double-edged sword in the sense that, you know, with higher risk, often uh, with higher returns, often comes higher risk as well. So if you're suddenly seeing that, hey, your investments are going down, is now in the red and that's something that makes you very uncomfortable, in all likelihood, you have actually been taking on too much risk 
uh, then you should be. So you also need to be reviewing, you know, your uh, investor risk profile. What's the maximum amount amount of tolerance of loss that you can actually take as well, and if necessary, to make those adjustments uh, to the allocation of where you're actually investing your money as well. Okay, so lastly, then you know, what were some of the lessons that you've learned this year? Some key takeaways for yourself uh, in twenty twenty two. So one thing to note is that uh, one. Uh, that it's really important to regularly review where you are, where you're heading towards. And you shouldn't be looking at it just for one year. It is an exercise or a discipline that builds up over time as well. So for example, if you've been doing a regular financial checklist and reviewing on a year-to-year basis, you can see that this year, okay, maybe it wasn't that, that great. But you have all those previous years that you were actually doing very well. And if you believe that markets will actually uh, rebound, that you know we, there will be you know different economic cycles that we go through, that kind of gives you that strength and confidence to actually continue to look ahead and another key thing as well be looking how are you doing you know, in terms of where you want to be heading towards your financial independence or retirement so for example if you are already ahead of your goal even if this year you fell a little bit behind but overall if you're still long term close to where your goal is or ahead of your goal, then you don't actually have to worry about it because you know that things will actually get better and that you are on track towards your retirement. And that just gives you that peace of mind at the end of the day. And that's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Stephen Young, Licensed Financial Planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.